for three weeks to talk about something we just call great and how we can make a great impact in this world. And this morning we're going to talk about the great command. The great command. Have you ever been asked a silly question? <laughs> They're pretty common out there. You know, you're, you're on the side of the road, it's raining outside, you're changing your tire and somebody rolls up, cracks their window and says, did you have a flat? Nope. I actually just thought it'd be really fun on a Friday night after dark on the side of a busy road in the middle of the rain to rotate my tires. Did I have a flat? Oh, you broke your arm, you have a big cast on your arm. Oh, did you break your arm? No, I'm getting ready for winter, it's kind of cold, I just thought I'd put on some insulation. All kinds of silly questions. You stumped your toe, did that hurt? Really? Are you asleep? My, one of my favorites from my dad, do you want a spanking? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Or my mom, how many times have I told you? By the way, that's a question you're never to answer because if you answer it, then you get the question, do you want a spanking? It follows it right up. But it is true that we can ask some pretty silly questions in life. And quite frankly, people were pretty silly to try and trick Jesus with questions. And yet that's what they did several times. If you could ask Jesus any question, what would you ask? But if you could ask any question knowing that you would get a truthful answer, what would you ask? If you're a child, maybe you'd ask, what will I be when I grow up? If you were a teenager, maybe you'd ask, will I ever get a boy or will I ever get a girl to like me? When you're uh, in college, maybe you would ask, you know, which direction should I follow in life? At least those are all questions I can remember asking in, in those years. If you could ask Jesus any question, what would it be? Would it center around yourself only? Like, what, what's the stock market going to be? Or <laughs> what, uh, would you cry out from the bottom of your hearts with a question that begins with the word why or, or when or how if you could ask any question what would you ask there's a lot of stories that you've read over time where you get the three wishes or the three questions and it's kind of an interesting thing to to think about how you get tricked out of ask for one of those wishes or one of those questions and in the questions of life satan also tries to trick us and get us to think about things that are more selfish and self-centered than what god would have us to think about it's all, we all know Satan is trying to trick us, and that includes trying to trick us in how we should live for Jesus. He often tries to get us to think about living a Christian life as being just a bunch of laws, a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. But God tells us the secret for living for him. But Satan tries to trick us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan lied. He deceived Eve and Adam in the garden. And he tries to deceive us today by saying, Living for Jesus is just a bunch of laws and commands. But when you really want to know what does it mean to live for God, what's the most important, the answer is not easy. But it is very simple. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of the law comes up and hears people debating with Jesus. And also he's heard them perhaps asking questions. And he notices that, God, that Jesus had given them a good answer and he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
And he's not just talking about the ten. I mean, they had a bunch. If you could ask Jesus anything, what would you ask? How to get to heaven? Why grandma died? A long, long time ago, we had a, a member here. Pete Sinclair happened to be his name. He was quite the character. And uh, he said, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions. Here's what I'm going to do when I first get to heaven. I'm going to smile for the first million years. And then I'm going to pull out my list and go to God and ask him my questions. I thought that was kind of fun. We all have questions of God. If you could ask Jesus any question, what would it be? Will my child return to you? Which choice should I make? Why, oh God? Well, his question was of all the commandments, which is the most important. And Jesus responds by quoting a text that every Jewish child commits to memory. One of the first texts, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Talks about a total love that dominates our emotion, that directs our thoughts, that determines our actions. And so here's Jesus' response in Mark 12, 29. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. First and foremost, he says you've got to get all in. You have to bring it all. Imagine there's some times in your life that you've ganged up on someone or something. I, uh, I can remember being a counselor in my early years at, uh, at grade school camp, camp for third through sixth graders. I learned pretty early as a counselor you never got in the swimming pool with, the, with those boys because <laughs> they were going to gang up on you and you were going to go down. <laughs> All together, you know, 100 boys can put it, about anybody under the water, and I'm not that strong anyway. There's a lot of times we gang up to accomplish the goals that we have. When I was a kid growing up, we didn't go out very often to, to Dairy Queen was a big place to go in, in our hometown at the time. And uh, Dad was a preacher on Sunday nights, driving home from church services. We would gang up on him. Dad wanted to go home, not because he didn't want to have ice cream, because he didn't have much money in his pocket. But we would gang up on trying to get him to stop at Dairy Queen. All of us would, would whine. If we could get Mama to gang up on him too, then we'd probably get a good stop. We'd get to stop out of that one. We gang up on our parents sometimes. When you gang up on something, it, it, does, it makes things different. It kind of gives you a confidence because you're not alone. It gives you this power. There's this sense that you can get something done because you're all in this together. And if you keep that thought in mind, what God is telling us, what Jesus is teaching, is we have to gang up on life. What's the most important thing? You have to go all in. All that you are has to get behind this. You can't do this half-heartedly. If I were to ask any of you to arm wrestle me, and if I really wanted to end, win, which I probably couldn't with, yeah. Anyway, but if I could potentially win, I would arm wrestle you with all my hand, with all fingers. How foolish would it be to arm wrestle you with just one finger, or I can beat you in an arm wrestling with my pinky finger. You'd probably tear my pinky finger off. You, go, you put the whole hand in if you want to win. You'd leave nothing out. This old concept of, I can beat Satan with one hand tied behind my back. Well, Jesus beat Satan with two hands cr crucified on the cross. But for me, I have to approach life all in. Don't mess around with eternity. Don't mess around with Satan. 
Don't show off and see how little you can do. Go all in. And that's what he's saying. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In Mark 12, 31, he continues. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, greater, no commandment greater than these. Jesus gives a bonus answer. And it shows us what it looks like to live the first. Basically, God is saying, your love for me is seen through how you treat my children. And I guarantee you that is true for me. You really want to show me Kent Risley love? Then treat Caleb, Sarah, and Hannah in such a way as, I mean, that's, when you treat them good, you are showing me love. Love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment greater than these. That, the order is important. We love God, and then we love man. To show we love God, we love others, because they're made in the image of God. Leviticus 19.18, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Genesis 1.26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We all are made in the image of God. God wants us to love him, and God wants us to love his children. Because if we do not love our neighbor, how can we love God? In 1 John 4, Jesus makes this, I mean, this truth is made very, very clear. And read the entire text, but let me just pick out one verse. 1 John 4, 20. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. God wants us to love him, and God wants us to love his children. You know what ties the greatest command and the second command together is the word love. Love ties them together. Well, the, the man's response in Mark 12 is found in verse 32 and 33. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Good answer. Good response. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Understanding, listening to Jesus, brings wisdom. And the response of Jesus to this teacher of the law was, you're close. What you need to do now is connect the knowing with the doing. In other words, you have to live it out in this world. So how do you live these truths, these principles, these commands in this world? What does it mean to live the great command? In Luke 10, at this stage in the discussion, the, the expert in the law asked another question. And with Jesus, if you don't want to know the answer, don't ask the question. Luke 10, 29. 
So the expert in law says, but he, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, what does living this great command mean? What does loving my neighbor mean? What does it look like? Because I know the words, I've read the words, but what does it mean? And Jesus responds to him and says, well, first of all, it means that you don't exploit others. Luke 10, 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The setting of the story makes this very clear. Jesus is perhaps in Bethany as he's telling this and two miles down the Jericho Road. And when he, asked the question, when he was asked this question, he tells this story about this Samaritan. And that road that they would have known descends more than 3,000 feet in a distance of only 17 miles. It was ideal, they say, for robbers, for people who wanted to take advantage of others. There were a lot of rock formations, some of them that even hung out over the road. And there was always a large group of priests and Levites who would go back. They lived in Jericho, but they would go up to the temple in Jerusalem and serve for a week, and then they would make their way back to their home and return to Jericho. And so the, the scene, the site, the road would have been well known. And he said, if you want to be, act like a, a good neighbor, what you don't do is hide out and look for chances to exploit those that are vulnerable. Being a good neighbor does not take advantage of those that are journeying through life. It also means that you don't detach yourself from the world and do nothing. Look, the story continues in verses 31 and 32. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. To love your neighbor, he's saying, you don't take advantage of them, you don't exploit them, and you don't ignore them. It doesn't mean that you just live your own life without looking around you. Don't make excuses for not helping others. We're supposed to engage with the world and with the people around us. When we see a need, we, we're there to help. Love does not ignore what's going on around them. And he uses as an example a priest and a Levite. I, I don't know what they were thinking. You know, if it was me in a situation like that and I'd done it, I, would have, I might be thinking, I've done my duty. I've met my obligation. It's time to rest and find some relaxation. And this could be dangerous, so I'm just not going to get involved. I can put myself in their shoes because oftentimes that's exactly what I think and do. I mean, I, I am a Christian on Sunday. Obviously, you are as well. But I hope I'm also a Christian all days and at all times. We're obviously thinking about God today, but I hope we're not going to live the rest of our week on our own, traveling back to the place where we are most comfortable, thinking that we've done our duty, and I don't need to help anybody. And what Jesus is trying to help us see, yes, we give our worship to God, but we don't just live our lives on Sunday. We live our lives wholly devoted to him. And that includes how we treat all. So if you want to live the good commandment, it means that we have to be all in. And to illustrate this, 
he jumps from Jew to Samaritan. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. I mean, he is going all in, the Samaritan. Let's look at verses 33 through 35. Now, to get it all on one screen, I had to make it pretty small. But let me read it and make a few points. Verse 34, He went to him and bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, I had fun just looking at this, and this is Kent's thinking, and you would see it differently, and scholars I know would look at it differently. But all of a sudden, I got this concept, I was thinking about how a... Uh, how the Samaritan was all in. This concept of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's just like he's the illustration of what this looks like in this world as you walk away from church and, and into this week, into your life that's in front of you. And obviously, don't you see his heart? I mean, to me, I looked at this passage and I saw several places that stood out and showed his heart. Go to that next slide. First of all, he saw him and he took pity. That kind of shows that the heart of who he was. It shows his heart when he took care of him. I mean, obviously he was touched. His emotions came involved. But he also used his mind. I mean, he, he saw the need and how can I meet that? So he poured out some oil and wine. That's like medicine. He, he had learned, here's how I can clean a womb. Here's, here's how I can help this man physically in his moment and so he poured out some oil and wine he took the medicine he had and he treated him and then he he looked after him he said how what can I do where can I take him and then he not only did he put him in a place where he'd be cared for but he also thought through what it would look like what this man would need in the future and he said and when I return I'll come back and I'm going to check on him and so I'm going to hold you accountable innkeeper almost he used his strength, his abilities to do things. He, when he saw him, he went to him. He got down on his knees physically and bandaged his wounds. Then he picked up the man and put him on his donkey. And instead of him riding, he took the injured man and let him ride. And he walked beside him. He reached in his pocket and had the strength to take the money he had in his pocket and use it to help him. And not just in the moment but to uh, think about the future and to commit himself and his finances to reimburse the innkeeper for anything. So I, I kind of got stuck, stuck there, heart, mind, strength. I didn't cover soul, did I? That's <laughs> going, where, where in this story, Kent, would you see the soul? And here's what I came up with. I mean, it's just that, yeah, every place you look. The soul of the Samaritan is seen in the whole story. He was all in. He was wholly devoted. And loving God with our soul is loving him on the good days. It's loving him on the bad days. It is loving him from the core of who we are. You see the soul of the Samaritan and how he acted. So the greatest commandment means getting involved, going all in. After Jesus told the story, he asked his own question, verse 36. 
Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And he's talking to us. Our, our neighbor is anyone who needs our help. And to be a neighbor means to see their need and to meet that need. And being a neighbor is hard. It is costly. But as a follower of Jesus, if I want to love God, I'm going to love his children. And our neighbors are his children too. It is a foundational principle. And when we truly love God and others, everything else in life seems to fall into place. When we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then God can do great things in our lives. So the question is, am I all in with God? Or am I holding out? Am I wrestling with Satan with just one finger? Do I have so much confidence in my abilities that I, I can beat him with one hand tied behind my back? I can keep my own heart or my own mind or... Or am I loving God with all that I am? Nothing left. And am I loving my neighbor from that same place? Give it all. Because if something is missing, it's noticeable. In the story in Luke 10, the expert in the law came to Jesus and asked a question because he knew something was missing says looking for justification he asked who's my neighbor he knew something was missing how about your life do you just know something's missing we're not all in heart soul mind and strength Jesus is telling us that in our lives heart soul mind and strength are the big pieces I mean that's the big things if you put together a thousand piece puzzle then you're a really smart person and I really admire you because I, I, you know, anyway if you're the kind of person that does that and you have one piece missing it's a little piece, isn't it? but do you notice? do you see it? absolutely in fact, it's likely where your eyes go to first if that's true with a thousand piece puzzle what about a four piece puzzle? we're talking about the big stuff and if one of these is missing, a big part is missing. It's one of the big pieces. And just as that expert in the law knew that something was wrong, he was not justified. We can know there's something wrong when something that big is missing in our lives. Am I all in with God? The only way to be all in is to come in with a heart, soul, mind, and strength and take that same concept and into the world. And that's how we defeat Satan because it's all in God's hands. Now, to illustrate this point, pretending you're a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, I David's going to come help me. So, if I were illustrating this with little kids, I would use this illustration. I've got a penny in my hand. And I'm going to put that penny, hold out your hand, flat like that with your fingers out. And I'm going to put the penny in his hand. And I'm going to guess, he's a lot younger than I am, I'm going to guess I can get that penny out of his hand before he can close it. All right? No 
Yeah, so we'll see. Oh, you didn't even try. Come on, try, see, try. try. Oh, here we go. See, you're not trying. I'm not. Okay, all right. So I got the penny. That's good. That's, we'll go, go with that. Yeah, that's a. It, it's a. Now, I learned this trick a long time ago. It's a, it's a fun one. If you're a young person, you can try this with your friends. I'm going to tell you how you do it. The key is not to reach down and try and get it, because if you just reach down like that and try to get it with one finger, they're almost always going to be able to grab your finger just like that. So here's the key. You make them put their hand really flat, and then you cup your hand. And what you're going to do is you're going to palm it. You're going to hit their hand hard enough that when you hit it, the penny's going to jump up in the air, and all you have to do is squeeze it, and the penny's in your hand. So all you got to do is be able to get your hand down before they can close their fist. And chances are, since they don't know when you're going to start, you can trick them and you can get it and almost always get the penny in your hand. You can snatch it right out of their hand almost every time because you know the key. You know the trick. And so when Satan says, just hold out your hand, he can beat us every time. You know how in this trick I can never win? How I could never get the penny out of David's hand? It's if he took that penny when I placed it in the palm of his hand and gave it away. Going all in means I'm all in with God. And if Satan wants to steal something out of my hands, have all you want because there's nothing left. I'm all in with Jesus. And if you want to steal my life, you've got to get it out of Jesus' hand. You've got to get it out of the hand of my Father. John 10, 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand going all in should give you great confidence great confidence because you're ganged up with God and Satan can't win now I told you it was simple it's just not always easy And don't think that when you turn 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or Glendale 100, it gets easier. But let me tell you one of the things along my journey of life that has helped me. For many years, I prayed and asked God to help me do things that I should do. And then I wouldn't do them. That's why, as a, as a young man, I can remember connecting, and I still connect with Romans 7. God, the things I want to do are not the things that I, want, don't, I do, and the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. Who's going to save me from this wretched body? And so, a long time ago, I, I still pray that God would help me to do the right things. But I also changed my prayer. And a common prayer for me, and a daily prayer is a concept like this maybe it'll bless you too it is a prayer that says something like this God help me to love you so much help me to love you more today than I did yesterday help me to love you more tomorrow than I do today 
Help me to love you so much that I'd always want to do things that brought a smile to your face. I stopped trying to do what was right on my own and started trying to do what was bring us what would bring a smile to God's face. That God would allow love to grow in me so much that I would want to want to do what pleased Him. Well, it it hasn't made me a perfect person but loving more always is a blessing I hope you might pray a prayer similar to that that your love for God would grow every single day of your life and that you would love him so much that you would never want to say or do things that would harm him or bring us make him feel sad but only ones that would bring a smile to his face to do that you got to go all in I love this Proverbs Proverbs 16.3 Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed The key to that proverb is the commit It means that I'm all in That I'm giving it all to God And I'm not taking anything back It's all His Now it starts with admitting that you need God in your life And for many of you You've studied You know that Jesus You believe Jesus Christ Is the Son of God And maybe you have even admitted That you can't do it on your own but now is the time to commit your life to him to go all in to confess Jesus as Lord of your life and no longer will you be in control or in charge to repent of your past ways confess him as Lord and be baptized in the waters of baptism so your sins can be washed away and you can live this new life a life of all in for many of us we've done that but instead of walking in the light we've started walking in the shadows Maybe it's time to come back all in. If we can help you on that journey, you can certainly come. We'd love to pray with you here. If you want to give your life to Christ today, I hope you'll come right now and respond. We'll rejoice with you. If you need to respond publicly, won't you come as we stand together and sing? I was sinking deep in sin, far 